Welcome to episode 26 of the 905er podcast. My name's Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. In the last few months, we've dealt with some pretty heavy issues. COVID in long-term care, tax on conservation and green space, the rollback of democratic reforms, the human cost of cancelling the basic income pilot. So we thought, hey, it's December, let's deal with some lighter subjects this month. Everybody needs a little bit of cheer as we approach the darkest month of the year, without the usual promise of socialising with friends and family. Let's face it, even the more introverted among us, who sometimes long for a less socially overcrowded December, uh, are going to find this year's holiday season a little bit too quiet. So it's going to seem odd that our first episode in upbeat December is with someone currently going through their third bout of chemotherapy, and who has spent far too much of his young life in hospital receiving treatment for lymphoma, a type of blood cancer. But we defy you to hear our guest today and not feel upbeat. Dylan Buskermollen is originally from Burlington and was studying at Queen's University with plans to pursue a law degree when he was first diagnosed with cancer. That diagnosis has changed his life, and while it has of course brought enormous challenges, it's also led Dylan in positive directions in his life and career that he never considered before. As a fundraiser, a public speaker, working for the Canadian Cancer Society as a specialist in their Relay for Life program. Here is Dylan's story. So welcome, Dylan, to the podcast. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. I thought we'd just start off, if you could just give us uh, kind of an, a brief introduction to, to, to your story and what's been happening to you over, over the last year or so. Sure. Yeah. So my story, I guess, begins in 2017. Uh, I was a second year university student at Queen's University. I was studying politics and global development and was looking forward at at law degrees or international policy degrees. And uh, around December, I had noticed a, a lump in my neck, in the left side of my neck, just above my collarbone. And at the time, I was actually really busy with uh, exams and essays. And if I'm being honest, putting off those essays and probably playing more video <laughs> games and going out with my friends, <laughs> going, to the pub, <laughs> going to the pub across the street. So uh, I, I actually put it off uh, going to the doctor, which I don't rec- rec- I would say I don't recommend doing, but that was my mistake. And, and I waited till about February to get it seriously looked at. And at that point, it had grown from about the size of a gumball to probably more the size of a golf ball. So it was getting pretty uh, obstructive. It was getting uncomfortable. So I decided to go in and get checked out. And eventually, after a lot of tests and and, uh, trips to the emergency room, uh, the diagnosis came back as Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of blood cancer. And for me, blood cancer sound really scary because blood's like everywhere throughout your body, right? Uh, as opposed to something like, you know, thyroid cancer, like that's in your thyroid. For me, I thought blood, that's everywhere. It actually turns out that Hodgkin's lymphoma is one of the most curable types of cancer. Uh, and, and my doctors were very positive. So I, I went out, I, I still needed to go immediately out of school and start chemotherapy. And, and that was six months of pretty intense chemotherapy followed by a couple months of radiation. And after that, I was in remission. And uh, I, I began to get really involved with fundraising and advocacy at my university and at my local uh, 
office for the Canadian Cancer Society. And I got involved with planning events at my school like Relay for Life and attending events in my community and helping out there. And I, I really fell in love with with that community and, and the response I got and the feeling I got from volunteering. So uh, in my last year of university, I said, you know what, I, I, I want to make this a career. And uh, I applied to quite literally every opening that the Canadian Cancer, Cancer Society had. Uh, frankly, I would have swept the floors if, if that was the, the way I could get in the door there. Uh, but luckily, actually, I, I, the job I got accepted to was pretty much a dream job for me. And that was working with youth across Canada, r- running Relay for Life events and uh, being able to engage with them and, and help them uh, take on that leadership role in their community and get involved with a uh, cause they're really passionate about. So that was that was a dream for me, getting to do that and, and feeling so inspired by uh, those students and, and the people I work with. And I, I always say I wish I could say that's where my story with that ended and it was kind of you know off to the races from there. But unfortunately, in February of this year, I was uh, diagnosed again with a relapse. I, I noticed a, a lump again and a cough coming from a tumor in my chest that was pressing up against my esophagus. And so I went uh, back into chemotherapy. I did a stem cell transplant this summer. And again, thought I was back off to the races. And little did I know that just a few months after, uh, in October, uh, I found another relapse. So I'm back in one more time, hopefully for the last time. And uh, that's where we are. Yeah, certainly an eventful year for you. and, and Definitely an eventful 2020. <laughs> yeah, uh, just so our listeners know, Dylan has a great website. Make sure I'm pronouncing this right. D. Buskermolen, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dot com, uh, where he has a blog kind of really setting out uh, his experiences this this year with, with a great deal of uh, good humor considering everything that you've uh, you've been through. But I, mean, I thought, you know, first question really that immediately like leaves to mind, you know, you, you're dealing with cancer, you're dealing with chemotherapy and radiation, which are notoriously not pleasant uh, things to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. What made you think, you know, while I'm dealing with this, why don't I go and do some volunteering as well? Um, and no one would blame you for, for sitting at home and feeling a bit sorry for yourself. Yeah. What kind of motivated <laughs> you there? Well, it, that's a good question. And because that's in, in 2017, the first half of my treatment, I'd say that was my attitude was, you know, this sucks and I don't want to do anything and I'm going to stay at home. Uh, my first round of treatment I actually gained, you know, a lot of people associate chemotherapy with weight loss. Uh, I actually, my routine is I usually gain weight on chemotherapy uh, because a lot of the medication that I'm on, my first crack around, I gained a, a, about 70 pounds. And was able to lose all that in the gym and, and actually really fall in love with fitness. But before all that happened, I, you know, the way I was coping with it was eating uh, w- when I could, when I wasn't throwing up and, and you know, I was not eating the best foods and, and feeling kind of sorry for myself, in all honesty. And I, I remember there was there was a turnaround specifically for me when uh, I would go into the hospital and I'd feel so down on myself and uh, I'd see, you know, I'd see my whole spread in the chemotherapy suite. I have my family with me. I have, you know, a, a brand new Nintendo Switch that my that my parents got for me to help pass the time. Snacks, drinks, and I would look around, and a lot of, you know, most people wouldn't have that kind of support, right? Uh, I, I remember one lady specifically. You know, she she was sitting next to us, smiling, uh, talking, chirping everyone's ear off, having a great day. 
And when we were talking to her, she didn't have any of what I had. She, you know, came here alone. She, she got, uh, uh, rides to chemotherapy from volunteer drivers at the Canadian Cancer Society. She, uh, the way she interacted with people was through her peer support group from the hospital and, and also organized by the CCS. And I thought, man, like this lady, you know, who I don't even know, she's taking the time to share that positivity with me and, and be so amazing, uh, in light of her situation and in light of all the, the hardships she faced, she didn't have any family at home. She lived alone in an apartment and her son lived away. So I thought, wow, look at me, right? <laughs> a young guy, all this support. I, I really should be doing something more with this. And and that those services that the CCS offered her that were able to make her day so amazing and, and able, uh, enable her to share that positivity with people like me uh, was really inspiring. So from that moment, I wanted to uh, kind of pay that back, pay that forward, I guess, and start getting involved with CCS and contribute to those uh, really amazing programs, uh, as well as life-changing research that, it, frankly, is the reason I'm here today, but uh, also be able to to make the lives of, of Canadians living with cancer better today with those programs. Can you t- tell us a bit more about those programs and just, uh, I mean, many of us are familiar with the Canadian, speaking for myself, very familiar with the Canadian Society existing and doing lots of fundraising but don't have been fortunate enough to not see the other end of the equation so to speak and uh, mm-hmm. the work that they do I mean, often you think well it's all going into sort of cancer research or something but obviously that's not the case so what, what are the primary things the society does so the pandemic has made it a little difficult to offer services like like for example driving um, people to their treatments but one of the biggest services is information and support. So whether that's um, researching on, on the cancer.ca website about uh, what, what type of cancer you have, what the side effects are, hearing from other people. Uh, there's also a Cancer Connection website that you can sign up for and, and I've used to engage with other people. You can, you can filter people's discussions by uh, a diagnosis similar to yours or just message someone you see who seems nice and, and ask for a little bit of advice or you know, seek a friendship. Uh, so I'd say peer support is, is really big right now, especially in the pandemic, offering those online services, those phone services that uh, really for people, you know, with a, a network at home, but also who don't have that network at home to, to feel like they have someone that they can confide in and, and feel like they have someone that understands them. So I'd say that's, that's a, that's a big one is peer support and, and uh, information for sure. Well, I, I sympathize with that notion a bit. I, I was telling you just offline here that I was volunteering with the local chapter of the Canadian Cancer Society uh, with their Relay for Life prior to the pandemic, and then pandemic happened, and all of a sudden it's like, nope, we're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is my first year volunteering, and one thing I noticed coming in was the sense of community that exists within mm-hmm. the Canadian Cancer Society. There, There is a camaraderie there that is very... I think very unique compared to other organizations that I volunteered with in the past or have come out to support. And it, there's a passion there and there is a, uh, like a raison d'etre that of just, we're, we're here for each other yeah, and, and, you know, building each other up. It's something very powerful to witness just as a casual observer kind of on the outside and then being brought inside, uh, mm-hmm. to, to kind of see that, that happening. It's something that, yeah, I mean, especially in this day and age, it's something that you, we, we all need a little bit more of, I think. Yeah. And what's so powerful is that, you know, one in two Canadians will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. And, 
and that means a hundred percent of people, you know, either know someone or have supported someone who's gone right. through it. And, and so it's not a camaraderie that, you know, it, it, it's a camaraderie that's instantly relatable. You can walk into a Canadian cancer society and not know anyone there and still have a connection to that cause and still be able to walk in and feel like you're supported. And I think that's, that's really amazing. For, you know, it's something that I hadn't really experienced before then and to be able to go in and, and do that. And, and now for me as a fundraiser who works there and an advocate to be able to see someone walk in and, and, you know, back when we had wig rooms open, I, I, I remember someone walked in and I had just been passing through the, that community office at the time, but um, I, I was able to talk to them and, and tell them a bit about, you know, my experience. Uh, they had a port in, in their chest, which was, which is a, a tube that, that gets inserted to access uh, for things like chemotherapy. And I was able to share my experiences getting a port and, and losing my hair and, and, and things and help her choose a wig, which is pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and build that friendship, you know, and, and let her know that she's not alone. So it, it's moments like that, that are super powerful that just, I think I, I kind of take for granted. I get those moments a lot being able to work for the Canadian cancer society and, and also being so close to the cause, but they're, they're really life changing for me. They're very profound and, and are kind of, uh, we say fill, you know, they fill my bucket. They <laughs> right. really get your bucket filled every day, uh, <laughs> and, and make you feel good. I mean, that sounds really awesome. A and then B, I had a friend who was going through uh, chemo, back before COVID a year ago. And that thing of, um, you know, it's always that kind of cliche of a, of a patient's best advocate is themselves um, mm -hmm. and, and sharing information between other cancer survivors, other people who've been through the process was, was really important for this friend, you know, sort of learning information that, not saying that the doctor's keep from you but um they might not think is important enough to mention to you but it actually is and i remember discussing this with her actually that yeah you needed that kind of buddy system and, and it sounds like um you could almost be paired up every patient could be paired up with someone who's been through it before them who's mm -hmm. sort of dealt with the bureaucracy to an extent of going uh, day in day out to, to hospital and stuff like that so I, I guess that's that's very much what the society provides in, in a lot of ways yeah exactly that a sense that you're not alone and that it, uh, regardless of your situation you know living people living with cancer it's okay and uh and uh, a support system that, that doesn't always have to be there saying it's going to be okay. You know, sometimes it's okay to say this sucks. Uh, and sometimes it's okay to say, you know, there are going to be better days ahead and, and it's about being there no matter what situation it is, but it's definitely good. It's definitely a, a really good system to have for sure. So I wanted to talk about, about uh, your experience organizing Relay for Life, because um, I, I know we were talking about this just before we, re we hit record, and this year, Re Relay for Life just got completely got upended uh, because yeah. of the pandemic. You know what? I'm going to hand it off to you. Do you want to maybe talk about just how the, the society has pivoted? Uh, that seems to be the magic word of 2020 this year. Pivoted mm -hmm. into a new fundraising strategy to use the Relay for Life idea and other methods to... Uh, to help keep the society going. Yeah. So like you said, pivoting is kind of the, the theme of 2020. And, and as with many other things, we've pivoted to doing Relay for Life virtually. And we were talking a bit about this uh, before the podcast started, but uh, a lot of people 
saw the virtual Relay for Life and, and you know, many people for whether it's a concert or a gathering or anything, they see virtual as like, man, this kind of sucks. It's kind of a step down. And I had the interesting experience of being confided to the hospital uh, for a stem cell transplant while all of this was going down. So what was interesting for me is that actually the virtual was a step up for me because the alternative was uh, an in-person event and I wasn't going to be able to go or connect with anyone at all. So I had the interesting perspective of this virtual event actually spoke to me pretty meaningfully in the sense that I was able to fundraise and to uh, experience an event and uh, feel that sense of community from a hospital bed and from my bed at home recovering. So we've pivoted to this experience. And, and while I think that there's definitely, like with many events, you know, there's a lot to work on for uh, how we connect with people. But I, I do think it provides us the interesting opportunity of now reaching out to people who otherwise are immunocompromised, you know, whether on chemotherapy or not, and not able to go to these in-person events. And like I was saying to you earlier, I think it's an opportunity for us not to discount the virtual engagement that, that we're seeing, but to really embrace it and, and to recognize that this is an opportunity to actually connect with maybe even more people than we had before with, uh, with being able to, to make those, those people going through cancer right now and, and uh, unable to go to live events, we can make them feel really engaged too. Well, also, especially now that as we're learning more about the pandemic, about COVID-19, how it transmits, we realize that really, like, socially distanced outdoor events are much more feasible going forward. Mm-hmm. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and we could have done things differently. But I, I completely understand why the society went the way that they did, given the information that they had, that we all had. And what's what's great now is that we're learning to have options. So we have right, right. For fully virtual events, uh, and these are all options uh, that people can use given what the guidelines are and, and where we're at in the pandemic. So we have options for fully virtual events, uh, hybrid events with virtual elements, but also incorporating socially distanced uh, guidelines and activities, and then uh, you know minimal. Uh, minimal uh, population events, things like that, and also providing uh, a lot of kits for uh, sanitizing and, and making sure everyone is staying safe. And, and I think that's that's really important as well, is giving giving everyone options for where they're at in the pandemic and make, at the bottom line, making sure everyone is safe. But uh, I think incorporating these elements and really nailing down virtual connectivity and, and making everyone uh, feel like like they're still getting that sense of community, even though we're virtual, has been really big. And and like we were saying, with with every event we run virtually, uh, as a not even as a, a community in the Canadian Cancer Society, but in a community uh, full of full of nonprofits who are organizing events, uh, we get a little closer to that feeling of of community that we had in person uh, being replicated uh, in a meaningful way online. Well, I was, I was thinking on your note of community. I mean, that's something that I think we desperately need. Twenty twenty. I mean, the cancer society, separate from that, just that that sense of common cause and that common purpose, and the fact that you know, I think if twenty twenty has shown us anything, is that we are all in this together, uh, mm-hmm. and that you know, we can't overcome the, the problems that we have alone. Like we 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 really do need to come together, uh, all of us, and tackle these huge problems. But they can be they can be done together. And you know what's so interesting is that 
uh, I've really gotten to know how resilient we are and how, how resilient a lot of the, the people I work with are. So I work with high schools who run Relay for Life. And when I was back at work briefly, <laughs> I'll be briefly, uh, between cancer diagnoses, um, I was able to talk to some of the students who are planning on on running Relay virtually this year. And I was expecting to, to hear a lot of, you know, man, this sucks, uh, feeling unmotivated, what do we do? But instead, I was I was surprised that that these students are more motivated than ever. You know, this is our last year. We need to make an impact now more than ever. Right. How do we do it? Let's do it. Let's let's start now. Let's uh, let's plan out for every option so that this can run. Uh, We had to cancel a lot of events last year. And 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 these students like this is what they're building to the whole year. And that's, that's pretty crushing to, to have to cancel that at the end. And this year I've, I've been shocked and, 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 and so thankful. And, uh, you know, as a, as a cancer patient, but also as, as a human being that these students are showing the most amazing attitude and, and jumping back in with both feet and, uh, really looking to make a difference now more than ever, because, you know, the world needs it now more than ever. And actually, there's a really interesting point. Well, there's a couple of points. A, a is you, someone who's pretty young, uh, or by my standards anyway, <laughs> uh, who, who's dealing with cancer. And then just specific challenges maybe that COVID presents to kind of people who would normally be at university, like you say, you know, enjoying all those things that that. When I think of university, I think about a lot more than I think about the lectures that I went to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the socializing and that just really intense kind of period in life when when you're living close proximity with people of your own age and it, it, there's just nothing quite like it. Uh, are people of sort of your generation, your age, experiencing COVID in a different way? Do you think is it having a more longer term uh, kind of detrimental effect in terms of? It could be mental health or, or just the fact that you're missing out on experiences that, that you kind of feel you should be able to have? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, so in my fourth year in, in 2018, uh, I was a, a don at Queen's University. So I, I was a leader on a, on a f- residence floor. I lived with first-year students and kind of helped them throughout the year. And obviously everything was normal at the time, but now I'm seeing th- those students are in second, third year and having to deal with this firsthand. And it, it, it's hard. I've, I've said many a time, like I would not, I would feel bad being a university student this time because it's, it sucks having to stay inside. And, you know, you set your, your student house up or you're, you're planning to go and do these things with your friends and, and now you can't. And it, it's tough for sure. It's tough mentally and it's tough socially. Um, but I, I do think that there's been a lot of resilience shown you know, a lot of the students who who do know that that it's so important to keep inside and, and keep separated are are finding ways to to make this time meaningful and not just kind of waste it, uh, which I think is good. And it's been e- even more important for me, I think, just because you know, for for me or for any other cancer patient, a COVID diagnosis is very bad news. Um, is you know, it's a life or death. Uh, diagnosis for for us so uh, i i've been looking at this at this lens as uh, through the lens of not something as like i'll get it and then you know i'll have a fever and a cough for a couple weeks and that'll be it but i'll get it and and it will provide serious complications for my health and my treatment uh long term 
So every decision has been a lot heavier and it's been good for me, at least seeing, you know, my, my past students who uh, are no, are keeping that in mind and, and finding ways to make it meaningful, but it is tough. It's, it's tough for sure. No doubt about it. And I think there's two sort of additional points to make on that is one, again, people of my generation and older uh, often unfairly, uh, I think I think it, during COVID, it, to some extent, we've unfairly stigmatized younger people as well. You know, these kids going out and partying. Uh, you know, there's an element of there's, that. There's an element of truth to that. Yeah, <laughs> which sucks. Yeah, but there's also um, vast majority of people who are not like that. And we, we were hoping this week to sort, you know, almost to an extent, um, give people a little bit of a break from COVID. But it's just impossible. <laughs> and, you know, when you've got um, people protesting about the masks and their right to have a barbecue and then there's people like you are already immunocompromised and for whom covid you know they're basically consigning you to kind of house arrest because of their desire to not wear masks and i have another friend who's also a cancer survivor you know he can't see family he can't see anything because because you you you, uh, he's a slightly uh, older gentleman you know the, the combination of of being a little bit older plus compromised immune system is just just means you, you can't see anybody you know uh, and it, i really wish those anti-maskers would kind of meet someone like you and say okay defend your well meet you by video um <laughs> uh, okay now don't bitch at the police or the province or whatever why don't you speak to uh, the people who are on the other end of this thing who are having to deal with your actions yeah, I, I hope that this is an opportunity for, you know, those groups to hopefully practice a little bit of empathy and, and realize that there are a lot of people who f- for, you know, for to not wear a mask is is like saying you don't care if they, they die. You don't care if they have to spend a month in the hospital uh, away from their family. And it's tough. When I was in the hospital for my stem cell transplant, I was completely isolated and, and I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't see anyone because of my my immune system was completely wiped out, and it, it was brutal. You know, the isolation is is really hard, and and so to go through that again, but um, for something like someone not wearing a mask, I can't even imagine because it would be so frustrating. So I, I do think it is an opportunity, hopefully, to learn and and to practice a little bit of empathy and, and kindness. Um, and I'm seeing that every day, you know, people practicing that and, and, uh, getting better with what they're doing during the pandemic and keeping in mind. But like you said, there's still, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Well, I think it comes down to the fact that as much as we're, we're all socially apart because of this pandemic, us all doing it, having this common cause the way that we are going to defeat it and, mm-hmm. and get past it and, and move on. Um, I, I want to maybe just shift gears uh, for a second because there was another point that we were talking about before we hit record, and I do want to touch upon it. Was we were talking about how Relay for Life had to had to change its modus operandi because of the pandemic, and you were talking about how because they kind of went first, they were kind of like a trial and error, like the first guinea mm-hmm. pigs of this new fundraising model, if you will. And you, you mentioned something about how all these charities that exist in Canada, not just this Canadian Cancer Society, but you know, heart and stroke, multiple sclerosis, they're all working with each other and saying, hey, what works over here? What's working over there? And you're kind of taking the, the best of this trial and error approach of 2020 and bring it together. And can you maybe just touch upon that for a bit and just kind of how the not-for-profit charitable industry in Canada 
is kind of coming together to uh, to help themselves through it. Yeah, it's been really interesting to see this kind of evolution of the virtual event as we know it and and seeing, you know, event by event, charity by charity, getting better just by the process of new technology coming out, uh, people seeing other events and taking inspiration. Uh, It's been cool to see because it means that we're all learning and we're all excited to keep providing that better virtual experience for donors and for people who are, are so involved in the cause, which is, which is really amazing. It, it's also given been an opportunity to uh, even meet with people, you know, across the world. There are a lot of other cancer societies, uh, American cancer society, uh, the cancer society in the UK that previously to, you know, meeting with, it was kind of like, Oh, you know, uh, that's great, but we've kind of got our, our own stuff going on right now. Uh, at home, but now you know, with this, with these new virtual meeting spaces, um, it, it's easier than ever to to start up a call or a virtual uh, conference and and meet with them and share ideas and and get to know what people are doing across across the ocean to uh, better fundraise for. Uh, cancer research and cancer support programs and, and to better inform people and and provide that sense of community. So it's been really cool to see that collaboration and, and to see that uh, we're not alone in, in over here in trying to make a difference in the pandemic and that everyone's doing their best to work together and and kind of make it make it so that we can keep uh, keep growing that sense of community. What you just said there made me think of something in that you're since you're reaching out to the American, the UK and other uh, cancer organizations around around the world. I was thinking of how quickly the world has come together to defeat COVID, and that you know we're already talking about a vaccine. Right? Like a vaccine is now on the on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking the other day, like how my God, how fast this moved! Like we went from March, we didn't even know how to spell coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. To now we're now we're talking. Oh, we're getting a vaccine. And I was thinking of what about all the other diseases in the world, like cancer, AIDS, the these serious, debilitating illnesses. And I was thinking, do you think we can maybe mobilize this effort to maybe finally put meaningful research into actually defeating this virus? Maybe getting some kind of cancer vaccine, or just making it so one in two Canadians aren't going to be diagnosed with it. Yeah, that, that that's a a really great point. I'm I'm glad you brought it up. I I get that a lot. You know, we're investing all this money, we're investing all this time. Why aren't we seeing any return on investment here? And it's it, it's it's an interesting question because it, we are we are. I, I think we're we're seeing more and more each day, and we are getting. You know, it's it's hard to it's not as uh, visible as a vaccine uh, to say. You know, hey, we have a vaccine. We can be done with this now, um, but there is a lot of a lot of research and a lot of innovation being done every day. Um, I always say, like for me, thirty years ago, my diagnosis was terminal, and so that should give you an idea of, of kind of, of of the the work being put in. And and you know, even twenty years ago, uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma coming back a third time, they could be saying, you know, Dylan, we're out of options for you. Sorry. Um, enjoy the rest of your time. But now, uh, because of research that's continuously gone on, uh, there are options left, you know, a lot of a good prognosis left for me. So it, it's hard to see that progress, I think, because cancer isn't one of those, those diseases where we can say, you know, all right, we found a cure. Uh, 
There, mm-hmm. it, cancer is kind of an umbrella term for you know hundreds of diseases uh, that all require different cures, and, and it's very difficult to treat. Um, so I, I think it's hard to see see that sometimes, but I, I always I always say that there is actually a lot of progress, and I, I think uh, we have mobilized a lot of research to the point where where it is kind of like COVID, where we're like working on it really quickly and and, and giving it the best we've got. Um, but I, I understand how it's hard to see that sometimes. But there there's always innovation being done and. What I think is so great is that uh, me as a fundraiser and as an advocate, uh, I, I enjoy being able to communicate that and to communicate the idea that I'm here today because of the amazing research, uh, you know, whereas 30 years ago I wouldn't be. And, and there's a lot of stories like that that continue to uh, continue to people continue to survive and, and even live with cancer Uh uh, live comfortable long lives with cancer because of the amazing research that we're doing. So uh, it, it's tough to see, but it's definitely there. The progress is definitely there in spades. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, even during my lifetime, I, you've noticed the conversation around cancer change significantly for the better. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, literally when I was a child, it was a word that people sort of whispered to each other because it was so feared and so assumed to be fatal. Um, yeah. Um, regardless of what type of cancer it was almost, you know, I mean, I'm sure there was a deal of kind of uh, misunderstanding and ignorance involved with that, but still it was, I think, a reasonably fair reflection of the sort of state of medicine at the time. Um, and now, it's different, you know, it's still, nobody wants that diagnosis, uh, mm-hmm. but there's so much more uh, kind of hope in all sorts of ways. Um, and, and how about you? I mean, you're, as you said, you're going into this for the third time now. You're, if I understand right, you're going through chemo at, at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, very good prognosis again. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, how does it feel? I mean, how does it, um, it, it must be tough to, oh my goodness, I thought I had this over with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, when you hear it back for a third time, good prognosis or not, that's never a good thing. Right. Um, and you mentioned, you know, in my when you spoke about my blog, I do like to come at it from a bit of a, a lighthearted place. You know, it's it's serious for sure, but uh, I find I find comfort and a little bit of uh, uh, and in being able to to you know crack a couple of jokes and, and talk about it a little lighter. But yeah, you know, the third time is tough, and the first time and, and even the second. Uh, when it came back this year, my doctors have been, you know, Dylan, this is a speed bump. We're going to get you through this and you're going to be okay. And it, when it comes back for a third time, you start to think, well, is that really true? Uh, am I really going to, you know, is this really just a speed bump or is this something I'm going to be living with, you know, for the foreseeable future? Um, the prognosis is still good, which, which is positive. Um, but it's definitely, it's definitely disheartening. And, and, you know, this time around being so quickly, uh, relapsed to, uh, is tough for sure. Um, but we're getting through it and, you know, it's a day by day process. Um, this time, so the first time it relapsed in, in the same place, which is in my chest and my neck, uh, this time it relapsed in my lung, uh, which is different, which is new. But uh, they're thankfully using a kind of targeted therapy that um, is leaving me, you know, for the most part, okay. 
uh, if you had said last time, Hey Dylan, do you want to have a podcast, uh, a week after your chemotherapy treatment? I, I would still be probably unconscious. <laughs> uh, I was, I was left pretty, pretty on the floor for about 10 days. So I, I feel grateful that this time I'm able to, you know, the, the treatment this time is works in a way that it leaves my body relatively fresh otherwise mm-hmm. and able to do things. Um, and, and now we're just seeing, you know, taking it day by day and waiting for my second stem cell transplant. Um, I'm just noticing that our time is coming up on, uh, on the 40 minute mark. And I'm, I, I just want to ask you, Dylan, what are your future, immediate future plans for the, uh, for the holiday season? And maybe if people are interested, uh, since this is the time of year to be giving and charitable, where can people help out the Canadian Cancer Society online? So my plans for the holiday season, pretty low key, as I think everyone else is, um, <laughs> <laughs> continuing to do treatment. I'll actually be in treatment on New Year's Eve this year. I'll be in the hospital uh, for chemotherapy, but uh, continuing to share my those experiences on my website, uh, on on my Twitch channel, and and uh, continue to hopefully. Uh, spread more positivity than anything else uh, around the situation and, and around, you know, going through cancer during a pandemic. Um, if, if anyone wants to learn more, they can go to cancer.ca and, and uh, go everything through there. And to donate, you can just pretty simply go to cancer.ca slash donate. And uh, now is the type of time of year where uh, if you're in high school, you can start registering for Relay for Life or you can uh, go to uh, our Relay for Life Youth Instagram, which is just at Youth Relay, and ask about running a Relay for Life you know, at your own school or get involved uh, whichever way you want. So there are a ton of ways to get involved. But if you're interested in, in donating or reaching out, I would say just cancer.ca slash donate. Pretty simple. Well, thanks, Dylan, for joining us today uh, and wishing you all the best with your continued treatment, obviously, and for the holiday season as well. And certainly you encourage everybody to consider uh, supporting a cancer society. I will say thank you very much, Dylan, for coming on. We we do, us and our listeners, wish you all the best in your treatment. Uh, Have a great holiday season. Uh, Maybe eat an extra helping of turkey if you can. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) Thanks so much, guys. (laughs) Thank you. Take care. Yeah, take care, guys. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep 
and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.